Welcome to episode 35 of Super Entertainment Presents the Television Crossover Universe on the Grand Gignol Network, coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me are the classy one, James Boyachuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions, and the pun master, Chris Nigro, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press. And I am the Robert Ronsky, creepy weirdo and the king of crossovers. We are the TVCU crew. Uh, Ivan, my imaginary friend, is not with us tonight, or maybe he is. He is imaginary, after all. Uh, but he's actually still at a Christmas party one week later. In July. Actually, I think it's August by the time this is airing. So. He's trapped in Santa Claus's time dilation effect. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever seen Santa Claus on the Ivan timeline, he's a little scary looking. Um. <laughs> still sitting on Santa Claus's lap in, in horror that Santa is obviously glad that he's there. So, yeah. So anyways, in case, in case this is the first time you've ever heard us, the TVC crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the television crossover universe. Um, so now for our shameless plugging segments, uh, we'll start with you, Chris. Well, I, um, as our previous guest, uh, Micah noted, noted last week, I will also have a story coming out in the next Tales of the Shadow Men, and it will, it will involve the Frankenstein monster and another Frankenstein monster, and that's all I have to say about it right now. I want to get people intrigued enough that they're actually going to buy the volume just to read my story. Uh Speaking of Frankenstein, um, I'm going to just jump in. James, uh, since you wrote the Arrested Development timeline, crossover timeline, yes. um, there there was a um, Dr. Frank Stein on Arrested Development who liked to do weird experiments in I one episode. I believe I mentioned that. Did you? Maybe, maybe you did, but I had just caught it. <laughs> but there is a crossover I missed, though. Which one I was that? I didn't realize that in the follow-up series, quote-unquote Wild Stallions, I believe that was the title, where Joe, Joe Bluth oh, yeah, plays yeah. the other guy. Most of the things that they own were created by the Bluth Corporation. Oh. And, and of course, also uh, the steer car shows up in uh, Civil War. Of course. We can't forget that most important. <laughs> Which is... Kind of hard to reconcile for the TVCU, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> so, anyways, James, what do you have to plug other than Arrested Development? Well, I mean, how can I top plugging Arrested Development? But I will carry on regardless and talk about the July release in The Science of Deduction, which is from previous guest M.H. Norris. Her story is The Whole Art of Detection, and unlike every other novella in the series thus far... It takes place in the future, around 2026, and it features her own new detective, Adelaide Baines, who, a few years before this novella takes place, was visiting the tourist center at Holmes's Hermitage in Sussex Down, where he retired and seemingly apparently died. While there, she discovers, hidden, the manuscript for Holmes's great lost work the monstrous, several-thousand-page-long The Whole Art of Detection, which explains not only how to be detective, but discusses each and every one of his hundreds or perhaps thousands of cases in exacting detail. No romanticism from for him from all of Watson's accounts, but precise, minute details. 
And we see her deal with the ghosts of the past from one of Holmes's famous unsolved cases, as she is faced with a remarkable worm unknown to science, which drives those who see it stark raving mad. Expect references to Philip Jose Farmer's Walt Newton universe, certain Tales of the Shadow Men stories, a certain Bronze Doctor, and several 1960s TV shows as Dr. Baines tries to uncover just what this worm is and how it drives people mad. All that and a Harry Potter ripoff. I'm sorry. <laughs> and J.K. Rowling's not-so-alternate personality. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool, too. And uh, for a quick shameful plug, I just want to say that Nicholas Briggs's Sherlock Holmes from Big Finish Audio is quickly replacing Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes as my ultimate Sherlock Holmes. He's that good. All right. And uh, Nicholas Briggs, if you if you can hear this, if you or if anybody knows Nicholas Briggs, we've been trying to get Nicholas Briggs on the show. Um, so please, you, Nicholas Briggs, we love you and we want you, to talk to you. Yeah, if you know a person who knows a person who knows Nicholas Briggs, <laughs> let's make that happen. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, I just wanted to briefly mention what I had mentioned the last few weeks. Um, there's a crowdfunder right now for the Grand Geek Null Network to get us an air conditioner uh, before the summer is over. Um, it's not just to keep the people cool, but it's also to keep the equipment cool. Uh, go to trickortreatradio.com um, or look for them on social media. And um, if you give them money, uh, you can get like any of the shows on the network. And I think there's like six of us shows now. Um, to like do different things for you, um, you know, and they're really cool prizes. Um, so please check it out. Um, and also, um, continuing the Scarecon people I've met, um, I met the father of CM Eddie Jr. at Scarecon. CM Eddie Jr. is an author who writes horror, mystery, and suspense, and you can find his work at fenandpublishing.com. What's also interesting about C.M. Eddie Jr. is that he was good friends with H.P. Lovecraft, and he used to work for uh, Harry Houdini. Um, he would go off and debunk spiritualists and go back and report to Houdini, and then Houdini would take the credit for it. Um, so he's an interesting guy, and I got to meet his father because C.M. Eddie Jr. has passed away, and his son is um, helping to promote his name and sell his works. So go to phenompublishing.com and look for C.M. Eddie Jr., um, so stay tuned uh, because after the commercial break, we'll be talking with actress producer Felissa Rose, who we also met at Scaracon. Uh, so we'll be right back. And we are back. We met tonight's guest at Scaracon a few weeks back. Felissa Rose is perhaps best known to our fans for the infamous role as Angela in Sleepaway Camp. She has since had a very successful career in films as actress and producer, including the upcoming Death House, which is said to be the Expendables of Horror, and is inspired by Dante's Inferno. So welcome, Felissa. It's great to have you here. Hi. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so, so, of course, we want to talk about Death House, and, uh, but we can't not talk about Sleepaway Camp first. Uh, I, I think it's a prerequisite. <laughs> oh, yes, the very beginning. We're starting yeah. at the very... <laughs> right, right. So that was your first film, uh, and, and yet remains an iconic pop culture phenomenon. How does it feel to be associated with that infamous slasher role like more than 30 years later? Uh, 
You know what? It was, I always say, um, it was probably one of the top three best experiences of my life. Um, just being on that set and making that movie was, you know, it was incredible. And I love playing that role. So just, you know, the fact that we're still talking about it 35 years later, I mean, there was something about that movie that really resonates with audiences. And, you know, I go to a lot of conventions and just chatting with people is amazing. Like they all tell me the story of how they first saw it and what it was, you know, um, about the film that really spoke to them, whether it was the bullying or, you know, so many kind of uh, social commentaries in that movie. So, yeah, there's something, there's a plethora for everyone. There's something in there, right. um, in that movie that really talks to people. Did you expect that that first film role would lead you on the path of a career as a horror icon? And uh, how do you feel to be associated with horror, the horror genre? Oh, I, I love the horror genre. I'm absolutely, you know, um, ecstatic that I have anything to do with the horror genre. I'm a huge fan. I love making them. I love watching them. I completely geek out when I'm at conventions. You know, if I meet people like PJ Souls or Sid Haig or Tony Todd, I'm like, oh, my God, I grew up watching you. I love you. So, yeah, it's a trip. I mean, it's just I feel very lucky for it. And uh, eight years ago, you returned to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, in Return to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, were you excited to come back to that role after all those years? Oh, my God. I think the re- I was very excited, but probably because, you know, there was so much sentimental value there for me, as well as, like, you know, I was a kid, so I could party now. I could stay in the cabins with everyone. Right. <laughs> I, You know, I was going back with Paul D'Angelo, who was Ronnie, and Jonathan Tierston, who was Ricky. So it was sort of like, you know, just... Going back in your past, and if you ever get a chance to do that, it's a trip. And I, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was great making that movie, too. Well, I must say, um, Felisa, for one thing, it's great to be talking to you again after meeting you at the New England Scaracon. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. And um, I was one of those many individuals you mentioned who really, really identified with Angela Baker. And really? Yes, because as, as I told you, I was a very severely bullied kid. And it's yeah. like, you know, I saw Angela as something of an anti-hero. I didn't, I mean, I could not see her and cannot see her as the villain. And, you know, I, I was just wondering, well, you were making the film. Did you ever get a feeling of, of, of how important that character would be to so many people. First of all, I appreciate that. That's really, really sweet. Um, I think that is why people love Angela. It's, the question is always, was Angela the, the victim or the, you know, the villain? And I think that, you know, she was both, but she sort of stood up and represented something where, you know, although extreme, you know, we don't kill the people who pick on us. It was like, um, that she spoke to people for the fact that she did stand up for herself and got back. And it was the most, you know, um, it was just, she was larger than life when she would come at them with a curling iron or the bees. And so the audience could stand up and cheer and say, yes, you know, and you feel through her, like you're getting that revenge. So it is quite a revenge story. And, um, 
I had no idea what was happening while we were filming the first one. You know, I was super young. I was 12. I had just turned 13 when we were when we started shooting. And, you know, you just make a movie and you leave and then you never really know what's going to happen. But it wasn't until like 2001 with Jeff Hayes when he started SleepawayCampMovies.com that we saw through the Internet so many people really loved the movie and and cared about the character and there were so many things in the movie that you know spoke to people so i'm incredibly flattered to have played the role and i'm glad that it it did touch people in a way that keeps it alive so thank you so much you're very welcome and one of the things also i noticed an interesting dichotomy about um angela baker's character that you really did well you know some people have said well you know she was she seemed innocent on the outside, but in reality, it was just a mask for something. I don't think her innocence was a mask. I, I think she was both of those things. She was very innocent, and you know, she, she had other people molding her life from, I mean, when she mm-hmm. was Peter, and he came to live with that zany foster mother of his, and you know, she was always at the mercy of other people, even, I mean, bullying of different sorts. You know, there was that that scumbag who almost victimized her at camp. (laughs) And then there were the standard bullies that I remember so familiar. And by arriving there, it's like when she was removed from the environment of the home, something inside her snapped. I mean, did you see that kind of connection or that kind of change going on due to the change of environment? You know, I think... When you take on a role, and especially being so young, I was very collaborative with Robert, the writer-director, because he had a very specific vision and how he wanted it to all play out and how Angela would be portrayed. And she definitely, uh, the way we saw it was that she was very innocent and she was a sweet child and she was really being picked on. Um, Had she not been tortured by these, you know, uh, these people at camp, I don't think she would have ever snapped But we made a very precise decision that she would go through sort of this metamorphosis where she if you if you, you know, watch the film several times, you could see that there is like a little bit of a change. Even when Ricky comes to ask her to um, play tag, she's sort of like, you know, down and it wasn't as much like she's scared and shy and innocent. She was now becoming, uh, you know, she was she was more. mentally aware like that she has to do something and and you know even then when we came to the line you know um meet me at the waterfront after the social you know they teased my hair and they and robert was very adamant that i had sort of like you know avenged full kind of um look in my face and the way i spoke so it was we were very we were specific and and she was not masked it, you know, um, a monster that was masked. She was a, an innocent person who was um, who went through this. And I think had we played it the other way where she was a monster, you know, it would not come off well because then you're sort of not interested in siding with her and loving her. And I think audiences do feel for her. And then you get the double whammy at the end. Well, another thing I, I felt too while watching it, and this is really, I mean, I, I will have you know, that that's, um, Angela is really having a strong effect on my novel Centurion that I'm writing right now mm-hmm. and I yeah, hope to publish soon and shameless plug but anyway <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> good for you it's really, 
Thank you. And it's really relevant there, Felissa, because one of the, the things, you know, I found myself asking myself while I was watching that through all the catharsis, you know, is this also a cautionary tale? Is this saying, oh, my God, I mean, I could have become like Angela did if I snapped. And then I thought of Vincent <laughs> Columbine. And, you know, how far are bullied people really from becoming like Angela? No, I mean, well, first of all, it's entertainment. So you have to keep, you know, my whole, you know, feeling about even kids watching movies like this. As long as everyone understands it's entertainment, you're watching something that's extreme. It's like, uh, you know, it's it's for an effect. It's not to emulate in your real life. It's not reality. It's a tale. So, I mean, I think with that, people have to, you know, understand you're not you're not going to try to act like Angela. And I don't think people do. I think, you know, with situations that come up in like what you talked about, Columbine or whatnot, um, we, that's just a part of life, sadly, unfortunately. And that's coming from a whole different place. It certainly is not coming from movies or video games. I mean, you're either set in that way, I imagine. And I'm not a psychiatrist, obviously, but I was a psych minor at NYU. And I, I believe that people are wired in a way that, you know, sadly, we don't get it in time where we can, you know, rewire and talk to people and really understand what they're going through. Um, and that should, I don't condone that. I think it's horrific. And I, um, I'm completely uh, disgusted by the people who do it and horrified by the situations. But no, this is strictly a movie and it's just made for an audience to watch and go on a ride for 90 minutes. And I, yes, I, I totally concur there. And that it's just, I guess, you know, from being in that position, you know, I just, you know, I was thinking, yes, that's wrong. I would never want to become that in reality. I'll stick to just playing, uh, you know, video games and you know, <laughs> Call of Duty and just, you know, get my catharsis that way. But, you know, still, I could not help feeling bad for Angela. I mean, you know, seeing her snap, I mean, I did not, I mean, you don't want to see people die, but I think, you know, I was seeing her, you know, in, in one way confused. How else do I deal with this? And, you know, there, there really seemed to be no one in her life to talk to except her cousin. And he was sort of overwhelmed by things, too, in that situation. And, you know, thank goodness she did have her cousin. And yeah. I think, you know, and I've spoken out before on other you know, um, during other interviews where I, we, whether we realize it or not, we all have someone in our life or, or, you know, a bunch of people in our lives who we can turn to and, and seek support and caring and nurturing from. Um, sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't, but we have to look for it. And there'll definitely people want to hug you and take care of you more than we give credit to. Um, there are so many amazing people out there in life who who want to give a helping hand. And it's it's much better to seek that out than, you know, do something, you know, crazy. And, and that ruins your life forever. I mean, then you're just done. So that's not even an option. Well, one last thing I'd like to say real quick. Yeah. And, and then you do the... <laughs> that I must say I will never forget from that movie that you did a very good job at is how much you can say by not saying something just with the expressions you did with Angela because she was, you know, she wasn't speaking much during, you know, the, the early portions of the movie. And I, I remember first seeing it, I was just 14 when I first saw it. I'm like, wow, who is this girl? And, and, I, and, and just the expressions on her face, she would just convey, I mean, she sort of had no emotion. But she conveyed mm -hmm. that emotion 
with an expression of no emotion, and I think it was amazing how you did that. I mean, so I'm just wondering, was it natural? I mean, did you have the director bringing it out of you, or did you just sort of wing it there? Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Um, I, You know what? I think it was probably a combination, like, being directed like that, being told to do it. And then I, I honestly think as a kid, we all play pretend. So we're to be convinced when we play act let's say sometimes kids are better actors than adults because we're not conditioned yet you know and we're innocent and we just kind of go with it so i think it was a little bit of both but i probably have to give all the credit to robert um because he was really like holding my hand through it and and helping me and 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 when the cameras would would turn off and he would say cut we would be laughing and having a great time so you know, it was easy to get back into, oh, okay, so this is what we're doing. You know, this is how we're playing. Um, that's how he treated it. So it was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience as well. Well, so, you know, we all love the end results. So I'm sorry. Go on, Rob. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, we don't have you for much more time, and I want, I wanted to move forward because we can't just talk about Sleepaway Camp. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to say I um, – so the other night I had a Felissa Rose film marathon – uh, I, I, yeah, I looked up IMDb, and you have a very busy career. Like, like so many movies, like constantly out. Like, like there was no, there's like no gaps in your history. And uh, I saw some um, Caesar and Otto movies. I saw The Last House, uh, and um, I, they're they're all a lot of fun. Um, but I want to talk about your upcoming project, Death House, uh, which you're you're promoting at Scarathon. And that's out in October. Uh, we had Sean Whalen on a few weeks ago, and you uh, did. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, yeah. And did he tell the, you that how we're best friends? Yes, uh, he, <laughs> and and he he uh, he he said he wasn't allowed to tell us only a little bit of a little bit of it. Uh, but we were hoping that as the producer, maybe you can give us a little bit more information about Death House. And. Uh, Alyssa, can you hear it? So, you know, levels and the doctors trying to you know exactly what's wrong with these particular killers on each level, and it's sort of like Jurassic Park, where it like breaks down, and and the Cody Longo and Courtney Palm characters, um, you know, they they're like stuck in the middle of it, and it's just from the second you buckle up. And get on that ride. It's relentless. You just are taken to like the depths of dark and evil. To like the craziest, you know, scenarios and and, and characters that you could ever imagine, all in in one film. That you know, we we lost you for a few seconds, but you came back at the right time. Turn around and watch the. Oh. Uh, Felissa, are you with uh, us? Okay. Uh, am I still there? Okay, you're you're back. So we got is, you. Were, we got you. We got you coming in and out. Are you there? Can you hear us? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. You, Sorry about that. You, you sounded like a, a a bad drive through at the the McDonald's. Oh my god! You know why? Because I'm so excited about the movie that I'm pacing, and I'm on my cell phone, so I'm probably oh. like, ah, yeah. Oh. So we heard we we heard all star cast we we heard dark and gritty and 
Oh my gosh! And all the levels of like crazy, like science fiction, and it's all these levels where it's like you break down and you see the serial killers being like, you know, themselves in with their kinds of killers. Um, the the victims that they would kill, they're like brought into their cell, their unit, and uh-huh. it's just sick the way we watch it all broken down because uh, just everything from the story to the um, action and the characters, it's really disturbing and amazing. It really is. It's very original. I mean, Harrison definitely delivers a sick, twisted story. Uh, now, it's, it's based on... Oh, I'm sorry. I just thought she said something about a doctor, too, that I didn't catch because of the break. Yeah, um, Barbara Crampton and Dee Wallace play the doctors, and they're all twisted and wacky because they, they're they in the prison, you know, handling all of these serial killers, and they're crazy. You don't know if they're the good guy or the bad guy and what they're really doing with, with the faux victims, and there's a whole plot that it just comes to light at the end, and you're like, what? just happened and it's a real ride where you you're you buckle in and you're taken on this journey that's insane for 90 minutes so yeah so it's based on the nine levels of hell right the, the, yes. the prison mm-hmm. yeah yep and it dante's has it you, you mentioned right dante's inferno dante's also, inferno yeah and you mentioned that it has a huge cast of iconic of yes iconic. so you didn't hear all my list I we didn't on. hear the li- we, we missed the list. <laughs> okay, should I go on with the list? The yeah, list please, is- please. Okay. We want so people it's... to watch the movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The list is extraordinary. It's Kane Hodder, Dee Wallace, Barbara Crampton, Tony Todd, Sean Whalen, Vernon Wells, Tiffany Shepis, Jan Burt, um, who am I missing? Tony Moran, Danny Trejo, Camille Keaton, Sid Haig, Bill Mosley, Vincent Ward, Sean Whalen, um, Bill Oberst. I mean, it just goes on and on, and it's really exciting. I mean, the film will definitely captivate the audience into, like, this feeling like you're on this journey that's relentless. It just takes you and pulls you and throws you, and you have no idea what's going on because it's brilliant. It's just so good, and at the end, you're, you know, you're blown away. Your mind is blown. And, and it was originally written uh, by Gunnar Hansen, is that correct? Love oh, it, I'm sad you didn't, yes. So yeah. it was written by Gunnar, the original script, and then um, Harrison took over right. um, along with Rick Finkelstein and Stephen Chase, our producers from Entertainment Factory, and they all did such an incredible job of bringing this movie to light because Gunnar had been trying to do it for many years. We met with him one year ago in, uh, at Horror Fest last July, in Connecticut, and um, and fortunately, they were able to make this movie, and it's an honor of Gunner, right. and it will be, you know, it will definitely be a film that um, audiences will really, really be um, just taken by. I love it. I really love. I love original stories. You know, something yeah. that is completely different from anything we've seen. That's what I like. Even though, it, even though it's got the inspiration of Dante's Inferno, it's a, oh such, yeah, it's such an Sounds like such a great action horror, like, oh, sci-fi, like fun fantasy. Film. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So it's a, it's it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank and, you um, for having me. Thank you so much. Let's definitely do it again sometime. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> great to talk to you again. Thank you. I would for love that. Stopping by your humble home, you are very welcome. Thank yeah, you. Thank welcome, you. Yeah. 
an honor. Thank you. Very grateful for the opportunity. Have a great day, guys. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye. 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 All right, we're back. And uh, we've got a little bit of time left. Um, So Chris Nigro, our very own um, Godzilla uh, expert, went to G-Fest. Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it was my first G-Fest. I was most definitely a virgin there. And, not in the literal sense, guys, but anyway, well, Ivan isn't here to make such a comment. Uh, Anyway, he's still on Santa Claus's lap, I might point out. But anyway, as I was saying, is my first G-Fest. It was pretty fantastic. I mean, everything I read about in G-Fan about the G-Fest was going on there. There were panels. My friend and colleague who's been on the show a couple times, Matt Denyon, had a panel. I met a lot of great artists and writers that we are working with with Matt for one of his upcoming anthologies. And uh, um, there's also a lot of merchandise being sold there. Matt sold a lot of his books, print copies. Pretty cool. Um, They had a great restaurant in there. They had some really great white pizza, I should point out. I think it was called the Visibility Bar because I think it was named that because it was easy to see. And uh, no, you know, you didn't need infrared lenses to find it. But anyway, um, it was a pretty good experience, I must say. I, uh, uh, there was cosplay going on there, not as much as I saw at the Scaracon. You know, and this one guy in this very bulky Gamera suit was taking up a lot of space because he could barely move in it. And, you know, if you wanted to get past him in the wall quickly, you know, or in the hallway quickly, it's best to just knock him aside, you know, then. So... Yeah, I totally can loved it. So how many people in costumes did you shove down their faces? Well, um, most of them weren't wearing that ultra-bulky Gamera suit, so I didn't have to shove anyone else. Luckily, the suit was so heavy that, you know, I mostly just... He fell up. onto his shell, and he couldn't ever get up again, and he laughed. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But uh, I laughed anyways when I ex- when I semi accidentally stepped on his foot. But it was so padded, I don't think he felt anything. Uh, there, there could have been three people in that suit anyway, because it was like eight feet tall. So you know, but I uh, guess they couldn't fit a full fifty meter size suit in there, so they had to go as big as they can get. And um, otherwise, I saw some very, like I said, interesting panels. One on the history of uh, live-action superhero shows, like all over the world, not just in America or just nice. in Japan. It was very nice. I, I remember Starman, not, not the D, the multiple DC characters by that name, but remember that show? I mean, if we can think back to the so, set. So the, mo- the movie or the TV show that oh, was I'm, based on the movie? I'm talking. I, I'm talking about the TV show where that guy with the in the white leotard and white cape, where, where only his face was visible and everything, and uh, he would fight all these oh. wacky creatures. That show. Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about then. Well, that, <laughs> <laughs> then you should look it up and get an idea because I remember that was a pretty cool show, and it was nice to revisit it and be reminded that yeah, it did really exist. I didn't imagine that show, and. Uh, there was uh, some other really cool shows that, that I never knew existed in the Daikaiju category. Like, there was this one show, I believe, from the 60s or 70s from Japan, where there was this Japanese cave boy that had this brontosaurus-looking, well, I'm sorry, a patasaurus-looking 
I want, I'm trying to be paleontologically correct here. Uh, a Padasaurus-looking uh, kaiju that accompanied him and would fight evil kaijus and other gigantic, ultra-sized dinosaurs. And this kid hit, would be a fighter like you could not believe. He had these two sticks that basically looked like uh, peace pipes converted into weapons. And he just beat the arses of all these other individuals that attacked him, martial arts style, while his uh, pet Apatosaurus was beating up on monsters that appeared. And I definitely have to look up that show. I, I never knew it existed. So, yeah, it was quite an experience. So was this your second con? Um, no, I've conned many, many people before. Too many you know, people. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, but I, was, but I was being silly. Anyway. So, so Scarecon got, got you out into the, out into the oh, world. Oh, yes, yes. And now, and, now, and now the world can't get enough of you. <laughs> the world has long since had too much of me. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I've been spreading my annoying puns and personality around at conventions like you could not believe, and no doubt there will be victims of the third one soon. Awesome. And, and, and see, I must say, Dean, see, yes, I know what you mean, but see, by being impertinent like that, I'm going against what you mean. See what's... I get it. I know. <laughs> you're, just, you're trying to shut me up and get me back on topic. So let's go. Okay, we'll keep talking about G-Fest. Or, or else we're going to move on to uh, uh, all the trailers from another convention that came out. Okay, that sounded like a threat, so I better say quickly one more thing about G-Fest. Uh, <laughs> it was great to meet all the people there. Great to uh, hang out with Matt in person. And I must say, I really loved the, the, um, the artist alley. It was, it was a sight to behold. I've never seen so many images and statuettes and posters and comic books of kaiju and it's um it was really fantastic and then when we went to pizzas at giordano's in chicago i'm sorry i have to plug that place when you are in chicago you go to giordino's i think i'm pronouncing it right all right had good pizza there so um before we move on to um, talking about all the trailers that just came out, um, which actually by the time it airs is old news, but <laughs> it's new to us. So listen, I just want to apologize for the, um, the little bit of a glitch we had earlier. And um, I've actually decided we're, 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 we're not going to um, edit out the glitch because um, we like to pretend we're live. And um, it was only a few minutes. And... Uh, and you know, Felissa recovered from it, and then she, we made her say all the things again. <laughs> and let's and it, face it, it was so flattering that she was that nervous that she was pacing around just because of us. Yeah, you know, she is wonderful. When she, when we met her at Scarecon, she was like so excited to like meet us. It's like we're, <laughs> you know, um, she is so awesome. You know. Um, she's a wonderful person and, um, and, uh, you know, other people have worked with her that we got to meet have also said what a wonderful person she is too. Um, and, uh, I hope next time we can have her on for a little bit longer, but it seems whenever we have the filmmakers on, they, they have to run to the next thing. And, um, you know, that, that just, that just happens, you know, uh, filmmakers are busy people. 
and uh, writers tend to just be at home always writing. <laughs> she is definitely a living battle of awesome sauce. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, uh, during the break, James had mentioned uh, about Justice League, and and the trailers had come out. Um, so I did see the Justice League trailer, and I guess say I, I liked it. Um, it wasn't a lot to see, but um, it was really like basically meet Aquaman and meet the Flash. Um, but I liked the tone of it because it was more lighthearted. As I have not watched it yet, I'm going to have to substitute one of my writer friend's opinions for my own, Wes Julian. Thankfully, he usually agrees with me, so I'm probably going to think the same. He says, the Justice League trailer was entertaining enough. But the Wonder Woman trailer looks like utter crap. More of what we've already Uh, gotten. So, we've got that to look forward to. And I I was really looking forward to Wonder Woman. The premise... That they had built up in um, Batman v Superman made it look really good, like 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 it would make a great solo movie. That's so that's disappointing. I have I to mean, say, the, I'm not surprised because of their World War One switch up. It seemed like they did everything they could to not do the first Captain America movie. Right, right. And when you're that desperate to not do something you usually just crash into a brick wall. I hope right, it like, was good, but I'm not surprised. Like you're saying, well, we can't make it like Captain America, so let's make it in World War One. What else can we... Well, Captain America was good, so let's make it bad. <laughs> <laughs> that way it'll be different. Make one woman a cross-dresser while you're at it. Make her a tranny, right? I mean, that'd yeah. be different. But- you know what? Wes and I are excited for, we know they're going to do it some way, somehow, to some degree. But Wes and I are certain that because this is World War One, one of the Germans in the movie is going to be a young Adolf Hitler. Oh, of course. And we're trying to guess how cringy it's going to be. Of course. My guess, very. You know, um, yeah. So the one thing that I was worried about that I'm kind of, feeling better about was The Flash um, because I really love Grant Gastanis um, as The Flash on the CW. And Gus Grant, you mean? Gus Grant? Maybe. Grant, or no, Grant Gastanis. Grant yeah, Gastanis. that's his name. Yeah. Uh. And um, uh, to me, he, he is Barry Allen. And, and, yes. and the few bits I saw on Batman v Superman of him did not look good at all um it looked really dark but then that was batman v Superman was really dark um and the the justice league pilot made him look funny like in the in, like in the nerdy funny way um you know basically you know first he goes up to aquaman will you join our team you know batman does, you know bruce wayne does and he gets and aquaman kicks his ass <laughs> and then and then he goes to Bruce I mean to Barry Allen and says, Will you join our Yes And he's like I didn't even finish the question. He's like, I don't care, I'm in, I need friends <laughs> And uh I'm like, Yeah, he's a nerd. Great That's that's what I'm looking for. Barry Allen is going to be but it, 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 he's gonna be even nerdier than he is on the show. Um uh, so I, I'm pleased for with that. all of the issues I have with Ezra Miller's casting. 
from what little I did see of the trailer, he's not going to be as good as TV Flash, but at least he's not going to be a bad Flash. Right, right. He, I, I, I don't think he'll be as uh, he'll be my Flash, <laughs> but I think he'll be a good alternate universe Flash at, at, at the very least. Even yeah. if he's not really your speed. Right, right, right. Well, I like I like Bruce Wayne is like, so you're fast, and Barry's like, well, that's a really oversimplification of it. <laughs> but um, um, also also um, on the Marvel side, um, Ghost Rider is going to be on Agents of Shield, and I am surprised at that because I thought Ghost Rider would get the Netflix treatment. Uh, I figure we're going to see a lot of upper B-level characters suddenly appearing on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They desperately want to save it. They want it to be their flagship TV show. So they're going to start throwing more and more major names at it. So look for lots and lots of bigger people. I wish they had decided to cancel it and save Agent Carter instead, but we'll see where this goes. The last episode had a character from Squadron Supreme, so... So I think we're going to see them throwing anyone with any name recognition at it. Yeah. And Whoever hasn't it, had something major, they're going to be on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They're moving it to 10 p.m., which means they're, they're definitely declaring this is going to be darker and not a family-oriented show anymore, um, which was an interesting, like, because they're competing with themselves in a way. They're competing with the Netflix shows, I feel, by trying to make it darker, by going to the law and order time slot you know basically i mean i can't fault them it's probably wise because instead of owning that youngerness and the family appeal like agent carter nailed it by going for a 30s pulp in that 30s sensibility agents of shield has just felt dry and boring and with no clue what it wants to be so that might help them in the long run honestly yeah might give them that whatever it is, that touch of, oh, we know what we're doing that the show so desperately needs. I've never seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really as a workable, as a lighthearted show. You know, I mean, look at the stuff they get into. I mean, the humor could still be there, even if it's dark, but it's a lot of dark things happen in that show. Let's face it, you know. I, I yeah, felt, I a, I felt they... the first season. I felt the first season um, was very light and adventure and uh you know there wasn't a lot of marvel cameos which i think for legal reasons they weren't given permission to use a lot of stuff in the beginning until yeah. they until they tested the waters of the show's success um but it it felt more like a joss whedon show in the first season and then it became more of a marvel show later on yeah, I, I think the yeah, problem with its tone is that it desperately wanted to be Jim Stranko's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But they didn't have any idea how to properly, not even use that tone, but even properly how to establish it and get into right. it. So it just ended up this washed out, we swear we're based on Jim Stranko, but uh-huh. it's, it never got there. I think the darkness started midway, I mean, at the big change in the middle of season one when the big Hydra revelation came along. I think that really changed the show for the better and may have saved it, I mean, 
and, and got that second season. That's what I think, especially how wonderfully it tied in with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It was wondrous how it did that. And I gotta yeah. say, I'm more interested in the show when another movie's coming out. <laughs> because I know that the show before and after will have some kind of tie-in. Um, yeah. Although, after Civil War, um, the tie-in was very weak uh, compared to, like, um, Winter when, Soldier. Yeah, Winter Soldier was strong. It was even fairly strong for um, for Thor the Dark World uh, and its connection to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and um, and even Age of Ultron. The whole like season was leading into Age of Ultron. And then, you know, with, with you know, the, the his secret was the helicarrier, you know. Uh, but it was very weak. It was like, Okay, we're going to spend five minutes talking about the new law that came out from Civil War. Okay, and now the show is back to normal. It, it should know. have more of an effect because of those Inhumans. I mean, I really think they're building towards... I, I'm getting the impression that when the Inhumans movie comes out, that the, the royal family is going, to, is, is going to be something that's introduced not as part of the past, but as the future, if that made sense. I think they're building towards that. I mean, we already had a secret um, Inhuman... Um, civilization that we've seen already. Could there be another one, like Adelan? I mean, how are they going to fit Adelan in there? Also, and also switching gears, um, the Defenders, um, they had that little teaser trailer, um, and it looks like it's just going to be the four main people. Um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And I was really hoping... Uh, that we would also see Punisher, um, Hellcat. Um, I'm really holding out hope that Punisher is a surprise mid-season edition. Yeah, you I know, have the pu- feeling that that's how they're going to be using him. It's the big surprise. I, I, I really I hope so. That they, well, I, I, guys, I really wish the show would not have... I mean, I've said this before online, but I really wish the show would not be premiering as a Defenders. I really wish it would be Heroes for Hire or Marvel Knights. I think that would be more appropriate for these characters. See, I'm okay with it not starting with Heroes for Hire because I have the feeling that's what's going to come out of it. Luke Cage and Iron Fist are going to come together into one show. Right, and Jessica Jones is already a Hero for Hire, so... And she's supposed to be mar- I mean, if, if, if it follows suit with the book, she's supposed to marry Luke Cage and you know, have a kid together. So, w- would she be joining that series too? Are we going to get uh, a? Uh, gonna... In the comics now, she is part of Heroes for Hire. So yes, yeah, yeah. she would be one of the three heroes for hire. Yeah. And, so you know, Misty Knight. It, it and there was foreshadowing of that. Oh, and White Tiger is another one who is mentioned on the show on just in Jessica Jones that I would like to see in the Defenders. Um, but yeah, I. I get the Defenders should be Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, the Hulk, and Namor. But let's face it, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's not what we're going to see. <laughs> that's just, they're all tied up in different things and, and or legally not allowed to even be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, um, you know, we're just not going to get to see that. So Maybe we'll get Nighthawk. That's what I'm hoping. We've got to get Nighthawk. And, you know, the Defenders is supposed to be one of those teams that's not a team anyways, you know. They come together, and then they break up, and then they come together, and then they break up. Um, So, uh, I'm getting the impression they just don't want to make it too much like the Avengers. They want to keep it, like, real street level. And if you have the original five, yeah, 
<laughs> you get, you're going cosmic if you have the original five. I mean, I do hope that there'll be an Infinity War. Um, yeah. At, le- at least for a cameo. I mean, I really feel that there should be, like, even little cameos of showing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and you know, and with the time gem, they could show Peggy Carter in her original time or, you know... Well, I have hopes for more interconnection between the ABC shows and the Marvel shows since the Marvel shows have changed production company and they're now under the same umbrella. Right, right, because um, ABC is on the end of the Netflix credits now, um, which which helps. And, you know, that's why, you know, and they mentioned Roxanne more in um, in, in, um, the Daredevil season two. Uh, which has a larger presence in um, Agent Carter and um, and uh, the Iron Man and Captain America, and then they um, and you know Daredevil went to the same uh, orphanage as uh, Sky. So I'm willing to bet a lot of money ultimately that within the next two to three years, Haley Atwell is either going to become a regular or semi-regular on the Netflix shows. You think so? Because she's got a new series. Out. Well, I think depending on how well that does, either regular or semi-regular. I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but with how much she loves playing, but she'd Carter, have to be the, and how much have she to be keeps trying one. to push for more things going on with Carter. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's either going to happen in flashbacks, or they're going to come up with a way to bring her back in her youth, which she's floated a couple times, and she said she's trying to convince people of, and I'm all for that. It would be great if they could somehow use the time gem in Infinity War to make her younger. Like, because she died, right? She just died. So mm-hmm. if they could somehow, like, bring her back. And there's another cheat, too, of course. We never saw a body. Right. Which well, is something she loves pointing out. You never saw a body. Right, right, right. And even, and even if we did, nobody dies for forever in, no. in Marvel. So why the movie shouldn't be any different, you know? No. Well, I guarantee you we're going to see a lot more of her on Netflix yeah. in one form or another. If they were going to replace anything, if they were going to replace Agent Carter with any show, I'd really love to see a small screen iteration of the Howling Commandos. I would love to see that, that there could be Haley Atwell appearances in it. I would love to see more of their Howling Commando team, especially yeah. since they've established what they're doing after the war. They're right. on top secret missions inside Russia with no support. Right. I want more of that. And yeah. even the occasional flashbacks um, episode to World War II. I'd like to see that also. We could get we, we could get a Steve, uh, if only they can get Chris Evans to do a Steve Rogers episode. You know, see more World War II. You know, considering how much he loves the character and said he will gladly show up as Cap anywhere he can, I think it's a question of for lawyers and not Chris. Yeah, because he said Infinity, he'd like to keep going after Infinity War. So, um, and you he's know, he basically said he's retired from most other acting, but he will do cap until either they fire him or he dies. I'm glad they got this dream team going because I would love to see some of the movie characters. I mean, appear. I mean, on that, the only. I mean, we we got we're lucky we got one cameo from Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury in the in the early part of season one of Shield. Um, we got the actress who played, Maria, um, I believe, Maria Hill, right? I, I can't yeah, think of Maria yeah. Hill. Yes, and we and we also got um, very briefly. Uh, who am I thinking of? Another, another oh, Sif. We yeah, got, Sif. got Sif twice. And, yeah, and I, I'm really hoping, you know, 
a lot of the characters from the movies will be thinking, you know, hey, you know, it's not, it's it's not, you know, killing our style to go down to TV and appear there. I mean, <laughs> I think well, it'd be great. And also, um, you know, maybe maybe look for Lorelai and Ragnarok because, um, you know, it, it, as my son points out, it was actually Loki posing as Odin at the time who sent Sif to go get um, Lorelai. Yeah, oh, I, I would love to get um, I would love to get a Loki episode of Shield. I mean, totally where uh, where he appears. I mean, the thing time, is, it's expensive. It's really expensive for a TV show to get big name actors. Yeah, I the, won't be surprised, depending on how Ragnarok falls out, if we end up with Sif and the some of the Warriors three somewhat permanently on Agents of Shield. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I could see that. You know, for the Infinity War movies, you know, my big question, are we going to get at least cameos from some of Marvel's Netflix heroes? I mean, will that be big enough that Daredevil and Luke Cage will just show... I mean, are they going to not be affected by that whole thing? (laughs) I heard a rumor that um, a different Quicksilver was also going to appear. A Quicksilver from another franchise... And you know there is a space gem, so. And and Fox has said that they were willing to do some sort of crossover. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't mind him in more movies. He's the ultimate Quicksilver. And it would be awesome to see Scarlet Witch's um, reaction to seeing an alternate universe Quicksilver. So, the, from what you've heard, does this mean basically that? Fox is on somewhat better terms with Marvel Studios, with um, Disney now. Yeah, Fox kind of. Is- it also means that Fox is doing very bad business-wise, incredibly bad, and they need every dollar they can. Right. Fox is saying that Sony was able to do something with Marvel, and that the Marvel movies are making more money, so they're seeing it as a business opportunity. It's not for the fans. It's, <laughs> it's for the money. But I don't care. <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah, I mean, same here. I mean, it, it's a, I heard that there was like a lot of antipathy between Fox and Marvel Studios like two years ago, including, uh, you know, board members walking out of meetings and everything. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, things are still not the best, but again, Fox, Fox wants Fo- money. Yeah, Fox wanted, didn't want to, Marvel wanted basically all the characters back. Fox is like, no, we're making money off of Hugh Jackman. Why, why would we want to give that up? And, you know, that's that's basically what it, and Marvel's like, you know, well, screw you. Then we're going to stop showing the X-Men in the comics and Fantastic Four and, you know, and, you know, so it's that. But yeah, I think yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I think we only Fantastic have Daredevil on Netflix thanks to a scheduling paperwork error. If, if Fantastic Four had been successful, then we wouldn't see this kind of agreement. When it became the Fantastic Flop. Yeah. You know, that's that was probably what made them say, maybe we can work with you, Marvel. Sony (laughs) did it, you know, so why not? Sony put the ice. (laughs) So we we are about out of time. Um, um, So we got to wrap up. Um, I just want to, again, apologize to our audience for the little glitch we had earlier. Um, But but hey, we're pretend live. It happens. Um, But it was so wonderful to have Felissa Rose on. Um, 
along with the Mystery Science Theater guy, she's one of our biggest names that have been on this show so far. Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of great authors, Simon R. Green and Mike S. Harris and stuff like that, but I'm talking like Hollywood. <laughs> um, so it was it, it was so great to have her on, and um, uh, we missed Ivan the last two weeks. Um, but he's happy on Santa's lap, I think. That's right. Um, so uh, join us next week when we've got another returning guest, Eric Burnham, who was our second guest on this show. Um, he'll be talking to us again about the Ghostbusters comic, um, and hopefully Ivan will be with us on that episode um, because... You know, Ivan knows a little bit about Ghostbusters. Um, uh, Eric will also be talking about his newly released Tobin Spirit Guide, uh, which we got to take a, a preview look at at ScareCon, actually. And um, perhaps we'll also be able to get his views on the newly released Ghostbusters film. Uh, before we end, I want to thank our sponsor, the Conductors of Metaphysical Examination. Uh, and also a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music, Leaf on a Stream. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night. <laughs>